Welcome to the Kentuckian, folks. Glad to have you with us. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the Kentuckian. Today, we're going to have an episode that you might start to listen to, get to the first part of it, maybe even just read the title and, and sort of respond, well, isn't this obvious? Of course, there's a cost or an effect to politics. Of course, the, the, these politics have an effect on people's lives. But something that's a big problem for a lot of people today, and, and it's a cultural problem, there, there's a very strong cultural um, element to it, is that people can recognize, and I've seen this, I think I deal with it to a certain degree myself, people can recognize a fact. They can recognize the fact that politics, that a certain specific policy, whatever the case might be, has a real cost on people, has a real effect on people. But that realization, the understanding or the knowledge of that fact is isolated from the real world. It's, it's effectively theoretical in our minds, despite understanding or, or being able to acknowledge openly that it has an effect on people, that this policy, that this governmental action, whatever the case may be, has an effect on people. We recognize that the, the fact exists. We recognize that there is a cost. We recognize that there are consequences in a theoretical sense, but we fail to connect that fact and the real world. We fail to really internalize just what that consequence is and what that means for regular people like me and like you. We are even able to suffer the consequences ourselves many times and barely recognize just how real the cost of politics is, the effect of politics is. So this episode is hopefully going to give you a stronger connection with the real cost of politics and is one of the reasons why politics matter, the effect that it has on people, the, the cost that is paid to implement that policy. And I'm not just talking about the monetary uh, amount attached to the bill. What about some examples of this disconnect? I think the best way to help illustrate this is to just go into examples of the disconnect where we can understand, yes, government action, political um, wranglings or whatever has had an effect on this group of people, on this, this industry or whatever the case might be, and yet not really understand just what that means for you, for me, for regular people. So we'll just jump right into some some examples, and this, quite frankly, is where we're going to spend most of our time. And the first example is farmers. Now, the cost of politics on farmers is immense. And I would take a moment to remind us that what affects farmers affects all of us. They obviously they produce our food, like all of our food. Um, farmers produce feed to keep other farms going. So farmers, maybe a, a grain farmer or corn farmer, what he farms there is going to affect cattle farming and other animals, for example. The plants that are used for various oils and sugars and chemical compounds that are used in food, but also in other industries, the most, if not all of that, comes from farmers. In many cases, American farmers. They produce the raw materials for a lot of textiles, like cloth for clothes and other cloth-based products, and so on. And while there are farmers all over the world, American farmers produce a vast amount of this material, especially for us. And we need to remember what affects them affects us and affects the economy to a massive degree, and yet 
as much as farmers sell, and sometimes there's the the old stereotypes of the rich farmer and and as important as their products are, as much of an influence as their products have on everyday living for all of us, if you take the time to talk to a farmer, you will find very quickly that it is tough to make a go of a farm. The cost is enormous. Government subsidizes farms because they've made farms dependent on the government. It's sort of a circular circular thing. Government or farms very much need help from the government because of the way the government has restricted and manipulated. Uh, the relevant economic policies to farms, regulation and and uh, price fixing and various stuff like that that the government partakes in. You think about all the pesticides. Think about the high cost of fuels and oils to keep the equipment that they need to farm running. Think about the insanely high cost of equipment due to overregulation. If you've ever seen, maybe if you've gone to the, if you're not familiar with it, if you've gone to something like the Farm Machinery Show. Uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, that's a, that's a big show. They display a lot of new farming equipment and everything. And when you get into large-scale farming operation equipment, the cost is mind-boggling for equipment. I mean, literally, some of your really big equipment will cost as much, will cost half a million dollars or upwards of half a million dollars, if not more in some of the, the really crazy cases for one piece of equipment, for one it's 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 mind numbing how how big the price tag is on many of these um, large scale commercial pieces of equipment. Yes, if you're doing very small scale stuff, you might not be quite so bad. But again, we're talking about farmers that are trying to make a go of commercial farming. You think about the effects of inflation, costs going up, the purchasing power of a dollar going down. And then you minimize the profits, connecting those two things, you minimize the profits from a crop or from the livestock that you're selling. Um, so you're not making as much money, and that's considering that that's a job or a profession that already often has a, a fairly low profit margin, a fairly low difference between the cost of running and the money that you make from selling your product already. And then you throw in government overregulation that affects these prices. And again, regulation at every step of the process, regulation that affects the cost of gas and fuel, regulation that affects the cost of the equipment, regulation that affects the cost of actually producing food because they have to, to, to put their nose into every little thing. And then you also throw in corruption. And uh, with when you're talking about commercial corruption and uh, kind of where big corporations are in bed with the government and all these different things, and it all but strangles the life out of small and medium-sized commercial farms. A lot of small and medium-sized commercial farms just can't really stay open, and then they get bought up by Bill Gates. They get bought up by BlackRock or some other giant mega corporation, and now food production is firmly in the hands of, the, of, of giant corporations that already have a, a horrible, corrupt relationship with the government. Government has a lot of influence on them. They have a lot of influence on the government. And a few people, a handful of people, may control the vast majority of food production. While farmers that have been farming for generations, that have been on the, the particular land that they were farming maybe since, in, in, in perhaps rare cases, the start of this country, have to sell everything, basically lose all of their heritage when it comes to property and land and and the, the profession that so many of their family have taken part in and sacrificed to keep farms going, and that's all just wiped away with, with 
a few strokes of a pen. Another example, and this is something you probably don't realize if you're not familiar um, with, with the situation or the plight of farmers, is the effect that the demonization of tobacco has had. Now, I am not going into whether about the, the specifics of tobacco and whether it, you know, it should be available or, or shouldn't be available or all those different things. purpose of this episode is to help us understand the cost of politics, the effect that politics have on everyday folks like you and me. Because, good or bad, the demonization of tobacco was a top-down political movement. It was pushed by the government more than anything, and that was where it had the most effect. The government and local governments, state governments, the federal government, all trying to get people to stop using tobacco products. Again, we're not talking about the merit or the demerit of that in particular. We're looking at the cost that it had. What you probably don't realize, um, maybe not even this fact, is that tobacco was, up until recently, and this goes back to the 1700s, basically, when it was first discovered in North America, um, American Indians grew it, but um, when Europeans grew it, or founded and started growing it, excuse me, is tobacco is a cash crop. Tobacco is a crop that sells for a lot of money, or it used to. Many times, farmers that maybe didn't even grow crops, maybe they were cattle farmers or something like that, they wouldn't necessarily grow corn and soybeans and all this other stuff. They grew cattle. They raised cattle. Even then, a lot of these farmers would still grow some tobacco. Well, why would you do that? I'm, you're a cattle farm. Why would you grow tobacco? You're a dairy farm. Why would you grow tobacco? You're a pig farm. Why would you grow tobacco, right? Well, the reason was you might break even on the cattle. You have your herd. You, you, you sell your steers and everything. You maybe sell a few cows as well and all that different stuff. And you, all that year, you put all that money into these cattle. You get them to where you can sell them, and you sell them. Well, when the year's done, you might break even. You might just cover your cost with the cattle. If you were going to make any money that year, if you were going to do anything above cost, basically, it was going to be from selling that patch of tobacco that you grew. If you made any money that year at all. If you broke even. That tobacco would be a, a nice little plus, or it might help keep you from having to shut down because of all the cost of farms and you had a bad year crop wasn't good. The, the cows were having trouble for whatever reason. There's still a market for tobacco. I understand that. But the general profitability of it, especially for the farmers that could grow a small patch of tobacco or a relatively small patch of tobacco to help supplement their income, that's all but gone. And now you've made it even harder for a farmer to take care of their family, to have anything resembling financial security. And remember, when you're a farmer, that, that money that you get in that year is based a whole lot on the weather, and if you had a good year, it's not a um, predictable income per se. And again, this isn't talking about whether the government should or should have done should or shouldn't have done anything with tobacco. It's to illustrate the effect that politics has on people, and it's had a massive effect on farmers in a lot of different ways. Let's go into another example. And that was a little bit of a long example with the farmers. I understand that. The other example should be a little bit shorter, probably. This is probably the example that's the most obvious to the average listener of the Kentuckian, and that's just the general cost of living. The cost of, of living is affected most of all by politics, and there's a lot of things that affect it. I understand that. But it is affected mostly, especially today, by politics. 
We've talked about before in other episodes the overregulation of everything. I even mentioned it with the farmers. When you regulate every single part of of production, right, of living, when you're talking about uh, the cost of any product that you buy, the cost of food, um, the availability of housing, I mean, just one thing after another, the cost of utilities, of electricity, of water, of, of internet, which is sometimes considered a utility now, actually probably is often considered a utility now. All these different things are affected by government regulation. And one thing that you can guarantee when something's affected by government regulation, virtually every time, if not every time, it costs more because of that regulation. The cost of everything goes up. And even if that's not directly the cost of, of groceries or the directly the cost of gas, maybe it's the cost of of trucks, of commercial trucks. Maybe it's the cost of tools that you need to 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 harvest a particular crop or to produce a specific product. All those costs eventually get passed to you, the consumer, because those are costs that company has to cover in the money that they make from selling a truck or whatever. And if that truck's bought by by a grocery company to haul their groceries, well, that truck now costs the grocery company more, and now that grocery company has to charge more for its groceries to cover the cost of the truck. And guess who pays more for that higher cost of groceries? You do. And, of course, we all know that costs are going up. We know inflation's going up. That's no secret to anybody. And even if it's not much, even if, if every single thing that you buy is, and you have to spend money on is increased by just a few cents, we buy a lot of different things. There's a lot of different things that, that we need to be able to purchase, that we need to purchase. And that starts to add up really quick. Same goes for inflation. Your dollar buys less. And again, even if it's just a little inflation, if you, even if your dollar only buys a little less, you start adding it to every dollar that you spend, and it adds up mighty quick. Think about taxes or don't think about taxes. It's not a pleasant thought, as I'm sure you all can agree. <laughs> um, imagine how much easier it would be for you. Thinking about all the bills that you need to, to pay, the mortgage, the groceries, the utilities, all the different stuff that you have to spend money on every month, every year. How much easier would it be if you didn't lose 25 to 30% of the money that you earn doing your job in taxes? Money that you never even get a hold of. Money that you look at your pay stub and was withheld from the moment you got paid that money that you will never see. All that money that's just gone. You see the growth. And if you haven't done this, when you get your next pay stub, look at the money that you were supposed to get, the, the, the gross pay, and then look at the money that you actually get after all the taxes were deducted. You, If you've never looked at that before, you're in for a shock. And don't forget, that's just the, the taxes that are directly taken out of your paycheck. It's The taxes you pay are actually more than that 25 to 30, 33%. You add in the cost of property tax, if you've got a house or you've got cars or whatever the case might be. You add in the cost of sales tax, because you pay that on almost everything you buy, right? State sales tax. The extra taxes that are put on companies that you don't see directly, but all these taxes for gas and for producing machines and, and growing stuff and all that, all those taxes that they have to pay, that they have to cover when they sell you their product, when they sell you that car, when they sell you that gallon of gas, when they sell you whatever, and now they have to raise the cost to cover their expenses so they can stay in business, and you're the one that has to pay that. 
And that's effectively you paying more taxes. And the amount that you pay in taxes is far more than 25 to 30%. I don't know how much. I think I've actually researched that before. I want to research a little more. It's not a easy number to calculate because it's not something directly put on the consumer. But the increase in cost because of taxes is far more than just your income tax. Imagine this. Imagine how much easier it would be if instead of well over a quarter of your money disappearing to the government, imagine when you get your paycheck, only a tenth of that of that gross pay is gone and gone taken by the government. Or 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 five percent of that money. Imagine if you make, just for example, you make fifty thousand dollars a year. Imagine at the end of the year, instead of having $30,000 to spend because of taxes, imagine if you had $40,000 to spend. Out of that $50,000 that you earned, that you actually worked for, but the government took more than their share, <laughs> imagine if you actually got to, to, have, to take $40,000 of that home instead of the $30,000 you may actually take. Or imagine getting to take $45,000 of that home instead of the $30,000 that, that you may take home. I'm going to ask this. This is a rhetorical question. Would an extra ten or $15,000 a year in real practical spending power help you out a little bit? Help your family out a little bit? That's the cost of politics. That's the effect of politics. It affects you. It affects me. That's another example. <laughs> you start throwing in stuff like like business owners, small business owners that have to pay tw basically twice as much in some of those taxes. Just another example. I mean, you all can probably fill in some of the blanks yourself. But let's go to a different example. Let's also consider the cost of politics and our interaction with folks and a lot of uh, what you might call ethnic controversy that goes on today. While we don't have too much time to get into, into detail on really any of the examples that we've talked about, and, and maybe we've gone into more detail than we should on some, let's look at the whole uh, race relations and racial justice stuff that's so popular to talk about today, social justice in general, really. Well, of course, that's primarily a political goal, a political program, if you will. But think particularly, because that's very broad, think particularly to something like affirmative action and the, the programs that are kind of based off the idea of affirmative action, that we should take action to, in effect, make amends for things that happened in the past, to supposedly give what they like to term as underprivileged folks a leg up. And they'll say not to really put them on a leg up, but simply to put them on an even playing field. What does it do in practice? It makes it unnecessarily hard for some people, say, for example, let's just bring it down, bring it home a little bit. If you're a white male, you will, simply because of the color of your skin, have a harder time getting into certain schools, will have a harder time getting certain scholarships or getting certain jobs because they have quotas to fill for affirmative action. Instead of making it an even playing field, what they do is cut down other people instead of actually giving the, the people that are supposedly underprivileged a leg up putting them on the same plane. We've also found is really you should probably expect that affirmative action and these similar programs actually tend to hurt the people that they are claimed to have helped because in essence, and just think about this a little bit with me, in essence, they are being artificially put into positions that they're not ready for. Because what are you doing? You are taking away 
the qualifications based on skill or capability. Instead of skill-based qualifications, they're skin-based qualifications. People are put in a position or offered a scholarship or offered admission to a certain school not because of their ability, not because they have shown that they have the capabilities to do whatever it is that school or that job or that scholarship requires, but because of their skin color or their gender or so on. And because of this, again, unsurprisingly, the people that are supposed to be helped are succeeding in these positions at lower rates or they're not being effective in the position that they're in because they're being put into positions that they are not ready for. That's the cost of politics. Imagine, you know, let's let's take it, if, if you are what, what people like to demonize, if you're in the group, if you're white or whatever, put yourself into the, into the shoes of any person. Let's take the skin color thing out of it. Let's take the gender thing out of it. Put yourselves in the, in the position of any normal person. Imagine you get in your dream job. The, dream, the job you've wanted your whole life. You get into the school that you've wanted to go for your whole life. Or when you started looking at schools, you're like, man, I would love to go. This would be a great school. They have great programs, whatever. Or maybe, maybe you get the scholarship that you needed to be able to afford to go to school at all, only to eventually lose this, the job, the, the school, the scholarship, whatever it is, simply because you weren't ready for what they gave you. Instead of making you better, instead of making sure that you are qualified for the position, instead of making sure you would develop the skills, the character, whatever it might be, to be able to effectively handle that position, to keep the grades up, to keep the scholarship, to keep the grades up, to stay in school, to perform the job uh, duties as necessary. Instead of making sure you were ready for that, the powers that be gave you a free pass because you checked the right diversity quota, because your skin was the right color, because you were the right gender or the right sex. Again, any that would be horrible for anybody. Or you didn't get the position because you weren't the right skin color. You didn't get the scholarship because you weren't the right skin color. That affects regular people. That hurts regular people. And that's what statistics have been showing us recently, which again, we should have been able to guess anyway. That sort of thing is the cost of politics. That affects you. That affects me. That affects regular folks. Another example, and one of the most recently tragic consequences, cost of politics, is the attempted gender transition of minors. And I say attempted not because they didn't go through with the surgeries and the hormone treatments and so on and so forth, but because you can't actually change your gender, of course. There's been quite a bit of news in the political realm uh, revolving around this subject lately. You may have seen at least some of it. Children, young children, we're not talking about, and this doesn't necessarily make it better, but we're not talking about 16, 17-year-olds. We're talking about three, four, five-year-olds are being exposed to sexual material at very young ages, um, maybe even younger than that in some cases. Uh, these drag shows, these quote-unquote kid-friendly drag shows where uh, and and the, the kind of filth that they are putting in front of kids and the questions they're asking, the filthy questions they're asking kids about sex and, and uh, gender ideology and all these different things. Again, probably shouldn't be talking about that at, at many ages, but especially not as young as they are talking to them about it, putting them in front of these things, exposing them to things that they shouldn't even be exposed to at, at many of these ages. Their innocence destroyed, their mentality 
perverted because you shouldn't be exposed and taught about those things too early because the brain hasn't developed to be able to properly understand that. And of course, if it's hidden behind parents' backs, they may not even know and be able to deal with the damage of these things as well as they could because children are being used as political tools. They're being hurt. They're being manipulated. They're being put into the meat grinder and churned out so that they can get votes, so that, that power can be accumulated, so that they can push their political agendas, hate speech, and all these different things. And remember, that affects everybody. All, all the kids are affected by this. They may not be exposed to it directly, but when their best friend is and their best friend is talking about it, when their best friend is and their best friend has to go to the hospital because of um, maybe self-damage done by mental problems that are generated by this nonsense, they're just around it all the time. And they start to think that it's normal because as kids, again, you're not as, as well able to handle those things. That's part of what maturing and growing up is. Even physically, your brain has, has to have time to develop it affects kids whether they partake in it directly or are affected by it directly or not. It affects all of them. Then there's the encouragement of all these kids that are dealing with serious mental issues, of course, exacerbated in many cases by the, the pop culture um, push for transgenderism and the popularization of it and, and kind of giving it social status to deal with these things. And then you have supposed professionals that are recommending that are pushing these kids into dangerous chemical treatments, to dangerous surgeries and problematic surgeries. And, and there's so many problems with this, so much destruction that's, that's wrought by these things. And we don't have time for too much detail, but it is destroying these kids. Girls at 17 and 18 years old are trying to detransition. They were, they were able to go through the process of dealing with things, being recommended that they quote-unquote transition, and have gone through it and been destroyed by it long enough at 17 and 18 years old to try and get out of it, to try and real, to try and detransition, but the damage is done. Girls at 17 and 18 years old being stuck with facial hair, having lost, maybe they've lost the hair on their heads, their voices are unnaturally deep. A lot of times they may have had surgeries that are kind of maybe reversible in some cases. But there's still damage done. The chemical treatments can cause infertility, all these different problems. It's tragic. It's awful. It's horrible that these kids were used as political tools and now at 17 or 18 years old are suffering worse than many people could even comprehend in ways many people couldn't comprehend because they're a political tool. The Daily Wire did a couple of videos on this recently, um, one of them examining some of the subreddit uh, on the website Reddit. There's a subreddit called r slash dtrans, which highlights much of the damage done. It's, it's supposed to be kind of a support group for people that have decided to detransition, um, but it highlights much of the damage, the video especially, done along with the broken state of many of these young people, seeing how desperate and, and depressed and, and horribly messed up these kids are. Some of these kids don't even want to go on living because they know that the damage that was done to their bodies is permanent, that they'll never be, they'll never look quite like a girl or a guy again. You think about having to deal with that at 17 or 18, knowing you're probably never going to be able to get married. You're never going to be able to look like a girl again, quite like a girl again. You may never be able to have kids. You may be infertile because of all this. They also did a video, the Daily Wire did a video on a specific TikTok of a girl who was trying to, I think it was a TikTok, who was trying to detransition. And I don't remember the age of her, but she was still quite young. And she had been detransitioning. And I'll just be frank, she still looked basically like a guy. 
that was kind of the point of her video. Her hair was almost gone. She's balding severely at, at a young age as a girl. Her voice was very deep for a girl. And it's various problems like that. Her facial structure is kind of different. Some of it has changed a little bit, but she also in the, in the, the video is basically saying there's not much she can do about it. At a young age, a girl that's ruined her life because her parents didn't have the guts to do what was right because politicians and, and, and supposed professionals had money to make off of it or various problems like that. And people suffer, children suffer, really suffer because of these things. Their lives are maybe not ruined, ruined. It's not that they can't be productive afterwards, but their lives have been changed, altered drastically and not for the better. It's really tragic, and this sort of thing is the cost of politics. This sort of thing is the effect that politics have on people's lives, not the or not the sort of ambiguous, well, this is going to cause the national debt to go up. No, this is how children are affected. This is how regular people are affected and hurt by these things. And all of these examples are to make the point, politics has a real cost. It hurts us. It makes our lives harder. It damages our children. It may threaten our physical safety. And also recognize it has the same kinds of effects on the other side of the political aisle. People on the left are having their lives ruined by the wrangling of politicians, are suffering, even though they believe in this, in this nonsense. They are still suffering because of it. That's the effect that politics have, and we need to understand that there are real people, there are real faces, there are real folks behind these laws that are passed by Congress, behind the money that is made promoting junk science, behind all of this nonsense, behind the, the brainwashing and in schools and so many other things that are happening. Real people are affected by it. That is the cost of politics. I hope that these examples have, have helped you realize the human element of politics, the, the, the effect, the cost of politics. It's not just some person on the other side of the country. It's your neighbor. It's your son. It's your daughter. It's your father. It's your mother. It's your brother or your sister. It's the people that you see at work and at the store, everyone, regular, real people, people that have the same kinds of desires as, and, and hopes and dreams as most of us probably, at least in a general sense. We have to attach that human element to it. We have to realize how people are affected by these things and that people are affected by these things. That includes us many times, even if we don't quite realize it. But another question that I want to briefly go over is why do we have this disconnect? Again, something I've observed, something that I think I have at times that I try and that I, I need to be conscious of. Why do we have this disconnect where we can say that there is a, a X, Y, and Z effect of a certain policy on quote unquote people, but we can't connect that human element? We can't, we don't really comprehend that this is affecting regular old people like you and me. Why is that there? I believe that a part of the reason, a large part of the reason, is that we never really hear of the consequences or the cost of politics unless they are quote-unquote good consequences or costs. We don't hear much in the media, in everyday talk, about how much regular folks suffer from government intervention. And if we do, 
in the case of economic hardship, the one that is the hardest to hide, the hardest to cover up, and that the most people probably deal with, we don't hear about it and really sense or have a strong connection back to policy from Washington City, where all the politicians are, from where the federal government is, or the state capitals, where other politicians are. There's rarely, if ever, a strong connection of this cost is going up, these uh, home ownership numbers are going down, whatever. Take whatever stat, whatever news story comes out. It is rarely, if ever, one accurately, if it is at all, connected back to Washington, D.C., connected back to the state capitals and say, this bill, this regulation, whatever it might be, this is why people are suffering. You rarely, if ever, see that, especially in any kind of mainstream media. Who is to blame? What is to blame for these problems is purposely muddied so that we avoid really blaming them. I heard this illustration actually just, I think, a couple days ago. If you look at a grain of sand under a microscope, it looks like the Himalayan mountains. <laughs> If you think about that for a second, I've made that same sentiment before, but I think that's an interesting way to think about it. If you're able to focus on a specific thing, if you're able to, to, to affect the way people the way people see a fact, the way people are exposed to certain information, how they see it, how they're exposed to that information, then you can make them believe a lie. You can make them believe in something that isn't true without, quote-unquote, technically lying to them. Not that they don't lie a lot as well, but they don't necessarily have to lie directly about this. They don't have to say, well, this policy doesn't cause X, Y, Z problem. If they're just careful about the way that the information is presented and how people view it and how their, their talking heads talk about it and discuss it, then they can effectively uh, move the blame away without outright saying that policy doesn't cause X, Y, or Z problems. See what I'm saying? If you look at a grain of sand in the right circumstances, then it looks like a mountain, right? You change the context, you change the way, you change how, and you're able to make people believe something that isn't true. That's what we're trying to get at. If you want to know the truth, if you want to realize the real effects of these policies and these governmental actions and regulations, you have to seek out a lot of that information. And because you have to make the effort to seek it out, and there's so much other information that is just right there for the taking, a lot of people don't make that connection. Again, there's a very strong cultural element to it. But hopefully, desiring to understand that connection, desiring to understand how these things affect you, how these things affect me, how these things affect my family or your family, so on, Hopefully, as you try and, and find those answers, you try and find that truth, hopefully the Kentuckian will be able to help you out a little bit. Um, that is one of the things that the Kentuckian is trying to do in what I produce is trying to help people find that information that is not obvious that you do have to look for a little bit and make it not so hard to find. And I don't want to finish this episode without a solution without some sort of path forward, without some sort of direction, okay, this is a problem. You've given examples. I've seen, yes, there is a disconnect. It's a disconnect that I didn't even realize I had probably. 
that not really understanding, yeah, regular people, me, you, my family, we're affected by these things. So what do you do? It's it's a cultural issue. A lot of people deal with it. And, you know, the mainstream media, they're going, they're pushing it. Politicians, they push it. What what do you do? We again we can sit around. I think I said this last episode, we can sit around and complain and bemoan and bewail the, the condition the world's in. But why don't we actually figure out what to do to try and make it better? And hopefully that's what we will do. It's not always easy. It can be scary sometimes, but there can be a difference that's made. So when we think about this disconnect and and how to fight it, how to not have that disconnect. So one of the reasons being so we are motivated to make a difference because we realize, oh, yeah, th- I, what am I doing? I'm sitting here while a building's burning down, and I'm just telling myself that this is fine. <laughs> like, well, no, the building's on fire. I need to, You can recognize the building's on fire and just sit there. No, the building's on fire. I need to get out of here. I need to put the fire out, whatever the case might be. Well, one of the big ways to deal with this disconnect is to just be educated, to, to take some time to find that information that is not uh, readily available in a lot of mainstream uh, sources. The Kentuckian, of course, tries to be a source for that, but we can't cover everything right now. I hope to, to expand and continue to expand in, in, in what we are able to cover the kind of the the subjects the kind of courses uh the kind of focus that we are able to have in in some of our content but we can't cover everything especially right now probably couldn't ever cover everything um so you can use the kentuckian of course Uh, the daily wire does have a lot of good information when it comes to these specific things when it comes to understanding the effects of politics on regular people they address those sorts of things a lot and they do a very good job generally um, so I don't really listen. I know some people listen to their podcast. I don't listen to their podcast. I mainly watch their YouTube videos. They're a bit shorter, a bit more focused, and very well done. Uh, if you are interested in that, Matt Walsh and Michael Knowles, their um, episodes or their video clips on YouTube would probably be the best for that, but you can just look up The Daily Wire if you'd like to to check um, out their material. And there's a lot of other people that do it as well. Um, Tim Poole, he's not really a conservative per se, but he tries to find the truth and he will talk about the effects of various government policies on regular people. Um, a lot of conservative talk show hosts and, and show owners, owners, editors, uh, producers will talk about this to one degree or another. Um, but you can probably find some on your own if that's, that's maybe something I'll try and, and, uh, put onto the Facebook page or something, a list of some good sources, other sources other than Kentuckian for these sorts of things. But there's a lot out there. Um, And I gave you a couple examples, and maybe we'll have more in the future as well. We also, this is a little bit more ambiguous, not as specific, but we also need to realize that blaming the government for making your life harder is not as bad as it sounds. When when I phrase it the way I just did it, it sounds like you're making excuses. It sounds like, well, you know, okay, the government's affecting it, sure, but You know, my life is still my life and I have responsibility. And you do. Um, But what we need to realize is that governments do have a lot of influence on these things. We cannot use that as an excuse not to work. We cannot use that as an excuse not to try. But we do need to realize that they have a lot of influence on these things. I talked about this this episode. I've talked about it on other episodes, and I will talk about it in the future, Lord willing. Um, But just 
I mean, the government will always have a certain amount of influence just because of what it is. And our government, American government, and most European or Western governments have far more influence than they should. China, other, I mean, name a lot of countries, they have tyrannical, overreaching governments. And blaming them, quote unquote, by that I mean calling them for, calling them out for the actions that they are taking that hurt people. It's not the sense of, oh, well, uh, it's, it's hard to make a go of it, so I'm just going to blame somebody else. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's hard to make a go of it because X, Y, and Z government policy, because of this thing that, that this president or this senator or this whatever proposed or got passed through Congress or whatever the case might be. We need to call them out for it. We don't need to be afraid to say, yeah, it's hard to make a go of it. I'm watching my money. Man, if we could get this specific thing moved out of the way, if we could get this specific thing changed, if people would understand, yeah, this is a this is a, the government regulation really drives the prices of this up or or you know, eliminating all these drilling sources in America causes gas prices to go up or whatever. Being being more readily um, willing to call the government out when we're talking with other people, when we're thinking about what causes these problems, will help us eliminate that disconnect. The first step to fixing any problem is realizing what the problem is. And that's really what we're trying to do. That Honestly, it's simple, but that is what basically what we're trying to do. And I would also say try to relate to your fellow man more. The more you focus on example and practical application instead of the theoretical, and we need both, I just want to say that, both have their places, but they do need balance. The more you focus on examples and practical application of these governmental discussions and policies that you might wonder, well, is this a good idea or not, and so on, the better you will be able to connect specifics of the real cost of politics in the world. You will be able to specifically trace government takes X action, Y and Z are the results of X action. You'll be able to trace that line more and more. And remember that we live in a country and a world where the actual effects of many of these policies and governmental actions and regulations can be observed or have been observed in history, not just theorized about. Look to the world around you. It will help a lot. But again, be careful where you get your information from. Look for the truth, not what the easiest information to get a hold of is, because there's a good chance that it's wrong. Is the effects of communism, the effects of government regulation, the effects of Again, take your pick. It has gone on long enough that we have data about how it tends to turn out. Look at that data. Look at effectively history, even if it's very recent. The stuff about um, affirmative action and some of those uh, programs, we have data, actual numbers data on how that appears to be affecting people. Aside from the common sense factor, aside from the principle and the truth factor, you can look at those numbers as well and see, yeah, these there are real people affected by these things. There are real people like you and like me that are hurt by these actions, by the government, by regulation, and so on. Real people. And now we are, in a sense, in a good way, I guess, or the one of the making the best of a bad situation. We can see those numbers in many cases. It's not just theory. We can see it, and we can see, we can learn, it, it may, it'll take work, it'll take practice, but we can see the real cost of politics. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you found it helpful. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, or so on, please reach out to me. I'd love to hear back. 
if my descriptions or my examples weren't clear, or you think there would be better descriptions or examples, I would love to hear about that. Um, there are many ways to connect with the Kentuckian. Those are linked in the description, or most of those are linked in the description of this episode in whatever platform you're listening on. Thank you all so much for your support. Uh, sharing this episode, recommending the Kentuckian to a friend, and, and all those sorts of things, as little as they may seem to you, do make a big difference. Liking the, the post on Facebook, rating, taking a moment to, to rate the Kentuckian on Spotify, whatever the case might be, those things do make a big impact. Remember that politics and all the things related to it, the cultural elements, the religious elements, and, uh, and so on, have a cost. They have a toll on people, on you, on me, on our neighbors, on our friends, on our family, on regular folks. That's one of the big reasons that politics matter. They affect the way you, me, the next generation, the way everyone lives their everyday lives. Not just on election day, not just on tax day, but every day. And remember, friends, as long as you and I are doing what's right, we make a real difference in this old world. This has been Ryan Dalton of the Kentuckian, signing off. The Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.